good morning again. I want to read a, a passage of scripture for you here at the beginning. And um, this passage of scripture is an interesting one. So if you hang with me, I would appreciate it. You'll see it on the screen. But uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. It's a great chapter, and I want to encourage you to read it uh, in full when you get a chance. But uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? <clears throat> Do not be deceived, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God, and this is what some of you used to be. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So that's one way to start a sermon. <laughs> um, we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. Uh, but first, we start this morning really just honestly with a question. The question is this, who are your people? Who are your people? All right, so there's a lot of ways to answer that question. For example, your people, if, if, you know, one way to think about it is my people are the people who like the same things that I do. Okay? I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Last Sunday, I know, I talk about football all the time. Last Sunday was the Super Bowl. And uh, we were invited to a Super Bowl party, so last Sunday night I found myself walking into a basement full of people, but also on the walls, on the blankets, on the pillows, on posters, on paraphernalia, on helmets, on everything. It was very, very clear that I had wandered into bear territory. Yeah. Now, I am sure that there are some people who wandered into that basement and just thought, my people, my people, right? Me? No, I'm just kidding. It was, it was fun. It was good. I don't, just so you know, for clarification purposes, I don't dislike the Bears. I'm just a Packers fan. And so if the Bears were in the Super Bowl, I would have rooted for them, just FYI. That totally sounds like I'm totally pandering to you right now. And that might be true. So, um, but just to clarify. But there's a lot of different ways to answer that question. Who are your people? And, and most of the time, we kind of think along the lines of affinity. You know, they root for the same team. Uh, they're the people that like the same music that I like. They're the, my people are those people. And so I think a lot of times we can identify easier who our people is when we find ourselves in a situation when we know we're not with our people. Have you ever experienced that? You walk into a room, you walk into a situation like, yeah, these are not my people. Not my people. Now, in our series, we've been looking at what it means for the church to be one. In a world of division, the pattern of this world is, is a world of division, and I think you see that every single day. The pattern of our world is division, and we've been looking at just a few things, uh, everything from politics to immigration. Last week, we talked about race, and, uh, and this week, we talked about human sexuality, but we've been looking at these things that are sources of division in our world and then asking ourselves as a church, okay, okay, how do we not add to the division? by the things we say, by uh, the way we conduct ourselves. Uh, what, what does it mean for us as a church, even when we might even disagree with some things with each other? How do we conduct ourselves? How do we live? So we've been looking at these different topics just kind of almost as 
as case studies, I guess, in a way, of how we need to approach these different things. Um, we're no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I want to reiterate something that I, I said last week when we talked about race. Uh, I will not be able to do this topic full justice today. I want to make sure you understand that. Um, at the end, I'm going to share some further information with you, but when I'm done today, there might be things that you had hoped to hear that you did not. There also may be some things that you wish you didn't hear. Uh, my goal is to recenter us to a central point of discussion, into a place that's been faithful to us as we've gone through this series is Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Every discussion about anything begins with a proper theology of the image of God. The image of God. Here's what that means for us. Here's what that means for you. There is not a single person that you have locked eyes with. There's not a single person that you have locked eyes with that does not have a holy value assigned to them by God. They have been created, all people, regardless, have been created in the image of God. So sit on that for just a second. That also means God has ascribed holy value to you, to me on all people, which means, according to author C.S. Lewis, he said this, there's no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Everyone has been created in the image of God, regardless of personal merit, race, immigration status, political party, or as we see today, sexual identity or gender identity. Nothing changes the fact that God created all in the image of himself with that holy value. Now, human sexuality is a complex issue for a reason. I want you to think with me about superglue. So, I know, I just like off to superglue. All right, squirrel. So, superglue is awesome. I mean, you're sitting there, you've got something that's broken, and what do you automatically do? Do we have any superglue? You go to the junk drawer, you open the junk drawer, because that's where you keep super glue and hair ties and all kinds of other different things. So you go to the junk drawer, you pull out the super glue. Super glue's great. You can fix family heirlooms with super glue. You can repair broken things with super glue. But you also know that super glue can cause problems, right? I got super glue on my lips once. Yeah, don't ask. <laughs> the result, the result of that is pain. So here's this good thing, right, that can restore, that can repair, but then there's also this thing that, that can cause pain, can tear flesh apart, all right? Um, right up front, let me make one thing clear. Are you guys okay? Are you with me here? The first thing that we need to understand is this. Sex is good. Sex is, we can vote on that if you want, okay? Sex is good. And right now the staff and probably my wife are wondering how awkward am I going to make this today? <laughs> I've only just begun, okay? Not once, and I want you to think about that passage I read earlier. There's a lot of really kind of negative descriptors in there, aren't there? But not once in that passage 
And never not once in all of Scripture where Paul is involved does he say that sex is a bad thing. Never not once. It didn't say in that passage I read earlier how it's used might be. But sex itself is a good thing. It was a gift given to us from God. But sex is not a need. Relationship is. Listen, people do not die from a lack of it. I know. That's crazy, right? You don't die from a lack of it. But if you take relationship away from somebody, you've seen that happen, haven't you? They begin to fade away. Because you and I were made for relationships. Harvard, in February of 2021, roughly a year into the pandemic, did a study. 36% of Americans experienced serious loneliness. 61% of young adults in America experienced significant bouts of loneliness. Relationship is a human need. You and I were made for it. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. It's built into us by a God who said it was not good for us to be alone. So the need that we all have is to be known. The need that we all have is to be loved, to be understood, to be heard. The need that we all have is to have a people, okay? We need every single one of us to be able to say, here are my people. Here are my people. Now, sex can help facilitate that, obviously, in an intimate relationship, but it can also get messy. If super glue gets on your hands, what happens? The two become one, flesh. <laughs> and what happens when you pull them apart? Pain, anguish, tear, ouch. Now, I do not need to go down the list of the ways that the misuse of this gift of God leads to pain. There's porn addiction, sexual abuse, broken hearts, unwanted pregnancies. There's a reason this church does things like support Free the Girls. It's a ministry out of Chesterton that rescues women from trafficking all over the world. Those things wouldn't be necessary if this gift that God has given us were not misused and misplaced, reassigned a purpose. The bond sex was designed to foster in our world today is being misapplied. And it's been broken since the beginning. So that sex, along with all kinds of other things in life, those things were given to us as a gift. Those things were placed into our lives for a reason, but we tend to take, historically, the good things that God places in our lives and use them for counterfeit purposes. Use them for things that they were never intended to be used for. Enter the church. So to say that the church, when I say the church, I mean big C, the church. To say that the church has struggled with discourse related to same-sex identity and gender identity and attraction, to say that the church has struggled with a conversation about that is an understatement. Uh, and I'm guessing that's where we thought that this would probably end today in a conversation about this. Uh, so here we go. I can tell you, uh, for a fact, there are, there are people today yearning to hear the church speak about this. To speak about this issue. They have and are growing up with friends and family members wrestling with identity and attraction questions. It's just a fact. 
my children, my boys, my three boys, all know and have friends who are wrestling and navigating this area of sexual attraction and gender identity. I have family members who are navigating that. And my guess is there's some of you that do as well. The statistics play it out. So this isn't just some off, far off thing. There are people that desire the church to actually have an honest, meaningful, respectful conversation about these things. Um, they want to see that their faith has something to say about this issue. And what makes it difficult is that the church is either silent about those things. I mean, if we talk about those things, somebody might get upset. If we talk about those things, somebody might mishear what we're saying or ascribe meaning to something that we're saying that we don't intend. And all of a sudden, people walk out of a door, they get upset, or what is the pattern in the world that we live in today, blast it on social media instead of having meaningful face-to-face conversations. So we, we tend to be silent about these issues, or sometimes when we speak about these issues, we do it in extremely painful, uh, assumptive, hurtful ways. And maybe we don't intend to, but we don't think about how we say the things that we say. And this is really incongruent with Christ. Most churches are church included. We'll tell you that Christ-likeness is the goal of the church, to help you become more and more and more like Jesus. That's our goal. We are in the spiritual formation business. We're not, on the, we're not in the put on a good show business. That's not what this is. We are forming people, forming a body of believers who know what it means to live out a kingdom ethic in the world that we live in. We are forming people, forming followers. And fortunately, in a lot of discourse about this topic, sexual identity, though, tends to be elevated as some kind of like a success. Like if I can say that I'm this or I can say that I'm that, that that's like the level of success for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The good news for us is that we've been given a metric of what it looks like, Christ-likeness. Christ calls us to be holy as he is holy. There's that constant pull he has on our lives, regardless of the sexuality issue. In every single area of our life, we are being called into the lordship of Jesus Christ that we might bring every single area of our life under his leadership, every area, including our sexuality. A people, regardless of sexual attraction or identity questions, pursuing the same goal in community with our people, pursuing the same thing, setting the tone for how people are spoken about. We set the tone for how people are treated, regardless of who they are. Welcoming broken people and actually believing, and I hope we do believe this, that it is not me that changes anybody, it's not this church that changes anybody, it's not you that changes anybody, it is actually the Holy Spirit at work in somebody's heart. You and I are not commanded to transform anybody. We actually believe that there's something else going on. (laughs) That God is at work constantly using his Holy Spirit to draw people home to pull them closer to him, to bring them to repentance. We actually believe that, but it's lived out in community with other people. And the passage from earlier that the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about, he's talking to a church that's, (laughs) I feel like every time we talk about the Corinthian church, I'm pretty harsh on them, but Paul is too. 
uh, they were a mess. They were a hot mess. I mean, they, they, just, they, just, they just were. And uh, he writes about, the, in, the, in the whole book, you should read it, he writes about idolatry, he writes about marriage, he writes about uh, temptations and how, how people in positions of leadership should be operating, all kinds of different things that he talks about in, in that book. Uh, the church was a mess. And ultimately, their biggest issue was they kept putting their identity in all kinds of other things and failing to bring their identity really truly under the lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to define for them what they needed to be, okay? And so his instruction is get back on the path. Bring it all under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in our time remaining today, what I want to do is I want to do a couple things. I want to share with you a document. Uh, Much like the last couple of weeks, the Church of the Nazarene um, communicates where we stand as a body of believers when it comes to different issues. We talked about immigration. We talked about race. Uh, This week, it's human sexuality. The Church of the Nazarene has a statement on human sexuality. Uh, And then when it comes to human sexuality, I want to talk to you, in particular, the LGBTQ community. What is our posture when it comes to this particular issue? Um... I want to read this for you. The full document is not short, so I'm not going to read the full document for you. You're welcome. Um, but it is available in the back. If you, as you leave, you can pick up the, the whole full document on human sexuality. If we run out, we can get you some later, but you can also Google Church of the Nazarene Manual Human Sexuality, and it'll take you right to where you need to go. Uh, so I'm going to highlight just a couple of portions I'm asking you to hang with me here, okay, as we go through this. In order to resist adding to the brokenness of sin and to be able to witness to the beauty and uniqueness of God's holy purposes for our bodies, we believe members of the body of Christ, enabled by the Spirit, can and should refrain from unmarried sexual intercourse and other forms of inappropriate sexual bonding because we believe that it's God's intention for our sexuality to be lived out in the covenantal union between one man and one woman we believe that these practices often lead to the objectification of the other in a relationship in all its forms it also potentially harms our ability to enter into the beauty and holiness of Christian marriage with our whole selves It goes on to say, we also would refrain from sexual activity between people of the same sex because we believe that it is God's intention for our sexuality to be lived out in the covenantal union between one woman and one man. We believe the practice of same-sex sexual intimacy is contrary to God's will for human sexuality. And while a person's homosexual or bisexual attraction may have complex and differing origins, the implication of this call to sexual purity is costly. We believe the grace of God is sufficient for such a calling. We recognize the shared responsibility of the body of Christ to be a welcoming, forgiving, and loving community where hospitality, encouragement, transformation, and accountability are available to all. Okay, let's pause for a second. I'm going to ask you to hang with me, okay? When I'm done today, there might be things that you hoped to hear that you did not. And when I'm done today, there might be things that you wish you didn't hear. My goal is to recenter us on an important truth, to drop the rhetoric, 
to reframe as starting point. No rhetoric, no labels, or anything else that adds to the division. One singular truth, and it's the image of God. So hang with me. Um, the, the, the full statement goes on, and it really handles a lot. It's a really good statement. It handles a lot of things really, really well. Everything from extramarital affairs to divorce to pornography to sexual violence. Uh, the Church of the Nazarene is an international church. In fact, it would be fair for me to say that the Church of the Nazarene tends to be thriving in all kinds of other areas of the world, a little bit more than it is in the United States, actually. We are a global church, which means there are different things that happen all over the world in different ways, and so this, this statement on human sexuality addresses some of those things from polygamy to all kinds of different stuff, okay? Um, but it's all in the document, but a couple of important affirmations from the document that I want to share with you are this. Number one, the human body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We affirm the need for our sexuality to be conformed to God's will. Our bodies are not our own, but have been bought with a price. Therefore, we are called to glorify God in our bodies through a life of yielded obedience. And then the people of God, us, we're marked by a holy love. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. We are marked by a holy love. We affirm that above all virtues, the people of God are to clothe themselves with love. The people of God have always welcomed broken people into our gathering. Such Christian hospitality is neither an excusing of individual disobedience nor a refusal to participate redemptively in discerning the roots of brokenness. Restoring humans to the likeness of Jesus, Christ's likeness, requires confession, forgiveness, formative practices, sanctification, and godly counsel. But most of all, it includes the welcome of love, which invites the broken person, I love this, into the circle of grace known as the church, our people. This circle of grace. If we fail to honestly confront sin and brokenness, we've not loved. But if we fail to love, we cannot participate in God's healing of brokenness. And then finally, this is just a really important statement at the end of it. As the global church receives and ministers to people of our world, the faithful outworking of these statements as congregations is complex and must be navigated with care, humility, courage, and discernment. If you pick this up as you leave today, uh, you'll you'll note that I didn't talk about every single thing that's in there. I did that for the interest of time. That being said, as I read that statement, those portions of that today, and as you might read that as you leave today or find it online, um, to me, what stands out in this document is what's not in it. There is no us versus them. There is no us versus them. So I want you to circle back around with me to this proper theology of an image of God. And I want you to think about that question. Who are your people? Who are your people? I want you to allow me to say this. People who are our people are people navigating sexual and gender identity. They are our people. 
as much as the person who's navigating anything else in life. There are people. The reality is, is that there are real Christians. There are real Christians, real followers of Jesus, navigating sexual and gender identity, and they are actually seeking to live a life faithful to the call of Christ, to be holy, to be Christ-like. The church finds itself in this delicate balance of expressing love and at the same time living out a calling and calling people to be Christ-like, okay? Holiness. And it's not just in this area. It's in all different kinds of areas of what it means to follow Jesus. The Church of the Nazarene has been established to call people to holiness, to a life fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, meaning maybe what is needed most often is an embrace of purity for all, not just sexual minorities. Listen closely. This world and the church, for that matter, do not have a gender identity problem. The church does not have an LGBTQ plus problem. The church and all of humanity has a human sexuality problem. And that's been going on since the beginning. We have wholesale misappropriated sex for all the wrong things. And there, there is no person that's not guilty. Okay, So we don't have a one kind of specific problem. There's a human sexuality issue in the world today and in the church. So knowing that, for somebody with attraction and identity questions, who desires to live for Jesus, we are talking about a costly obedience. I want you to follow me here. There are people finding themselves not fitting into those binary categories who are making the choice. Making the choice out of a desire to be faithful to Jesus Christ to live a life of celibacy. Did you know that? I'm not being asked to make that decision and that choice. That's a costly obedience. The reality of what I just read on the screen, and though you might be sitting here and what I read, you're like, yeah, that's right. That's right. For some people, that's a dagger in the heart because they understand the cost for them. Many times, I think we perpetuate assumptions without ever engaging in conversations and relationship. I've been, I've been guilty of that. Can I just tell you, 25 plus years ago when I jumped into ministry, never in a million years would I have ever thought I would have stood on a platform like this and had a conversation like this. Never. The world's changed a lot in 25 years, hasn't it? Things have changed radically. Culture, politics, everything has changed so much in 25 years. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've realized that I don't have the privilege of blaming the way the world has changed on this issue when it comes to me. In full disclosure, 25 plus years ago, I just didn't want to think about it. I didn't know anybody, really know anybody, who was questioning identity or gender issues or attraction. I just didn't know. And I was young. I mean, I was really young. And I mean, you want to see somebody drown, I mean, go visit a 22-year-old pastor for the very first time. <laughs> Every day you're drowning. 
And I would read anything anybody put in my hand without questioning it. And I would pick up the talking points just to get by, just to survive. Yes, we're against that? Okay, yeah, we're, we're against that. All right, we got that out of the way. Now I can move on to the next crisis. I, I would just grab on and glom on to anything. And of course, the people who are the loudest, the Christians that I heard who were the loudest and angriest, they must be, I mean, you wouldn't be that loud and angry if you weren't right, right? I had literally no interaction with the people that seemingly everyone knew so much about. I never really had to think through what it means for somebody who loves Jesus and yet has an actual negative physical reaction with the thought of being with somebody of the opposite sex. I've never knew anybody who wrestled with the very real struggle of being in a body, looking at a body, and being repulsed by their own body. To pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, please, God, why? Why will you not change my attractions? Why will you not change how I feel about this? At least take it all away. Just take everything, every aspect of it away. I don't care anymore. Never understanding why, why God would not remove that away. And then, desiring so desperately to want to follow Jesus, to worship Jesus, to live for Jesus with everything that they are, looking around, walking in a church and wondering, who are my people? Who are my people? Who, who's going to walk with me? Listen to me. Who's, who's willing to struggle with me? Who will love me and come alongside me when, when I don't get to experience the things that other people do? When I decide on this costly obedience, where will others be? The, the people who have wives, who have spouses and children and responsibilities? Who are, my, who are my people? Do I have people? Now listen, this isn't just a sexuality question. Uh, it doesn't just apply to this. How many lonely people, literally, and this, this haunts me, how many lonely people come in here and sit in a chair every single week or log on and watch by themselves on the phone alone? Alone. Looking around and thinking, yeah, this is my option. I don't really have people. I don't have people. We can do better. We have work to do. But today, why is it that the church doesn't lead with a posture that people who struggle and question sexual and gender identity, how, how come we don't lead with those are our people? Those are our people. Earlier when I spoke about our people as people who we have a certain affinity with, that's a pretty surface level <laughs> definition of who our people are. They root for the same team, really? That's what defines whether or not somebody's our people? That does not apply for the people of God. Those navigating the topic for today are our people. Unless we have that posture, we will never support people created in the image of God who suffer from tremendous isolation at times. Even sexual minorities who claim and affirm the historical Christian doctrine of sexual expression being reserved for marriage between a man and a woman, even for them, there's got to be effort 
Imagine just for a moment, if you can, if you struggled with same-sex attraction and you sought solace and relationship with other people in the church. But here and there, you hear some new acquaintance, maybe dropping some labels, or worse, repeating political garbage that's dismissive and abusive, or talking in generalities and maybe assumptions, or expressing disgust. It would not take you long to figure out these are not my people. They certainly aren't going to jump into the deep end with you believing that you actually help them navigate and become more like Jesus. You see, the question, who are our people, is not a lot different than the question from a couple weeks ago. When the man approached Jesus and said, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? In closing, what, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and I as a church? I think the same thing that the church should be doing for anybody, first, calling all people to Christ-likeness. That's, that's our job. We're in the formation business. Whatever your particular affinity is or whatever, every single one of us is called to be more like Jesus. Amen? Okay, so that we, we begin at that starting point. Every single person is called to be like Jesus. Paul said it, if you read further in verses 19 and 20 in that, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Mm. You are not your own. For you were bought it with a price. So glorify God in your body. Okay, so now is when I'm supposed to give you three simple steps that you and I are going to take now in this area. So the first thing that I want you to, to know is, number one, I don't have that. I do not have that. I want to give you a simple statement and then an invitation a little bit. Uh, as Christians, a, a basic tenet of our faith, this is, this is Christianity 101. Uh, we believe in God. We believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe that we have sin in our lives. And there's nothing that you and I can do. All of us have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. But here's the high water mark. None of us hit it. We need a Savior, okay? This is Christianity 101. There is nothing in Rich Doring that saves Rich Doring. I need Jesus, okay? That's, that's, that's basic. But it would also make sense then if, if there's nothing in me that would save me, but I need something outside of myself to rescue me, to save me, wouldn't it make sense that my own definition of morality, my own definition of truth is not enough? I need a truth. I need a morality from outside of me that's perfect, that's holy, that's righteous. The Christian, any Christian, has to look outside of themselves for direction on how to live, which means I don't own my sexuality, and neither do you. We are stewards of what God has given us. We're stewards of it. And just like anything else that God has placed into our lives, and so to steward our sexuality is to look to the one who gave us the gift of sex to begin with, and then guidance for how we are supposed to express it. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your 
own. You were bought for a price, a huge price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I want to invite you again, the way we've kind of talked about this the last few weeks, get to know those who might not be like you. Have a conversation. Uh, Listen to their stories. Love the person. And on this topic, I feel like I do need to say this. I understand that there's a necessary, you know, there's a fear, okay? There's a fear because everybody loves the word agenda, right? You know, Rich, there's an agenda. Well, guess what? I have one too. Don't you? I'm pretty sure everybody has an agenda. Okay? Our agenda in this church is Christ-likeness. Our agenda in this church is doing that together in a way that glorifies God and lifts one another up and challenges people to continuously bring every area of their life under the lordship of Jesus So when you hear me talk about these things, I'm not talking about like doctrinal change advocacy or or anything along those lines. I'm just talking about how we operate. How do we speak? How do we love? And we're going to talk about that next week. I just need you to know I'm at a loss in this area. And I recognize again that I'm in a position of listening. I'm in a position of learning about how to do this. Um, If you're navigating what we've talked about today, if you feel like today Rich just talked about me, (laughs) I want you to know I want to talk with you, not just about you. If you're questioning identity and attraction, um, I can't promise you that I have answers or solutions. I can point you towards Christ-likeness, and we can both trust the Holy Spirit to flesh out what that means in your life. We need to offer community. We're on a journey. Listen. And we need to, we didn't do this earlier, and and that's my fault. It was an oversight, but we need to be praying. Our our world is in a broken place right now, and there's scary things happening. Uh, Things like war, looming, different things. We need to be praying. We need to be praying. Our, Our world is a dark place. But we have this incredible invitation to be light. This totally contradictory posture than the rest of the world. And I just want to invite you to do that with me. In the end, we seek to glorify God. And I'd I'd like to do that with you. A couple things before we close. So, much like last week, sometimes this is just opening a can of worms. (laughs) And uh, one of the things that uh, I had the experience with a few years ago was I went to an actual conference, but at that conference they had breakout sessions, and there was a man that came and spoke. And... um, Uh, We just happened to be really close proximity to that individual. And so in September, which I know is not next month, I wish it was, but in September, uh, on a Saturday, we are actually going to be having a guy by the name of Dr. Mark Yarhouse uh, come. And he's going to share with us uh, sexual sexual and gender identity in the Christian faith. Uh, Dr. Yarhouse uh, is from Wheaton College, which is just right over in Chicagoland there. Uh, Great Christian school. And they actually have a department that talks about what it means to work out your faith when it comes to sexual and gender identity and, and gender dysphoria, all kinds of different aspects of all of that. Um, he is apolitical. He has no agenda other than to make sure that the Church of Jesus Christ is acting like the Church of Jesus Christ. And uh, he's, he literally he has no agenda. I've listened to him speak. I sat through three of his seminars, and 
he'll forgive me for this, but I mean, he's, he's not up here jumping up, up and down and trying to establish a platform. He just shares information, information that I think is important for us in the world that we live in today in navigating these issues in our faith. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. You'll hear more about that as it comes a little bit closer. And I would invite you to go. And uh, there's plenty of information online about him and about that department at Wheaton. So I would encourage you uh, to do that. So we're doing okay. Next week we talk about perfect love. <laughs> and, uh, and then we launch into Lent. Next week also is our annual elections. And so I know I, I shared that with you a little bit last week, but if you're a member in the church, uh, we invite you next week between the two services to go into the community space where the coffee shop is and, uh, and vote for different board members, delegates to the di district assembly this year, uh, different things like that. There are sample ballots on the walls out in the foyer, so if you want to take a look at those, uh, don't rip them off and take them home. Just, you know, they're for everybody to look at. So make sure you take, take a peek at those, and then uh, next week we'll be launching into that. But uh, can I just tell you thank you? Uh, these four messages are, um, it's only 10.06. I should go for like 15 more minutes. That's what happens when I stay on script. Um, no, I, I appreciate you guys so much, and I know I've said this a couple times in this series. Uh, probably about the second week in this series, I started realizing that this is actually stuff that you wanted to hear about. So that's encouraging to me. Uh, as we go into Lent, as we march our way towards the cross, uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, and as we look at the words of Jesus, uh, my prayer is that we continue to do that as one. My, my desire, honestly, is that we journey and we do this together. And, you know, that's messy sometimes. I know you know that. It's messy. But God's grace is so sufficient in the middle of all of it to help us, to guide us, to lead us. And so we're going to keep coming back to him keep coming back to him to show us how to do this. Sound like a plan? All right, why don't you stand? Father, your grace is sufficient. And we know today, um, I just spent a whole lot of time talking about people. People that I don't know. But, but Father, they're people that have been created in the image of Jesus Christ, and so I pray that you would help me First and foremost, when I meet somebody, when I talk to somebody, when I see somebody, when I drive by somebody, when I meet somebody for the very first time, help me to see them through your eyes as created in the image of God with holy values and that you love all enough that you would pay this incredible price in order to redeem us. And so, Father, we all stand here today in need of a Savior. We all stand here today in need of the Holy Spirit to move in our own hearts and in our own lives, conforming us more and more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus. And Father, I pray for broken hearts today. I pray for this costly obedience that, uh, that people have uh, picked up for themselves. And uh, what a challenge, Father. There's so many things about this, Father, that I don't understand. I, I don't know what, it li what it's like to feel other than how I feel. So would you increase our empathy? Would you help us to enter into the stories 
of others and begin to feel some of their pain. Begin to empathize with them so that we might see things differently. At the same time, Father, help us to cling to truth. Help us not to trust in our own wisdom, but in all of our ways acknowledge you. And if any of us lacks understanding, if any of us lacks wisdom, Father, help us to come to you first. You first and foremost. Other voices at that moment become things that need to be cast to the side. We come to you first if any of us lacks wisdom or understanding. So, Father, thank you for the privilege it is to be your church. Help us to glorify you in everything we say, everything we do, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.